That's right. What a hit. What a, what a, you should see the studio right now. Everyone's got their hands in the air, um, particularly Hamish and Sally. But with us now is Louise. Kia ora, Louise. Hi, Wallace. How's it going? Welcome to the panel. Thank you. Did you get this? I certainly did. I sang it. I was driving home with my son, and so he texted in. He knew I knew it. <laughs> he knew you knew it because not many. We only had three responses. Half past 12, and I'm watching the late show on my flat while alone. They're quite um, obtuse lyrics, aren't they? Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> what, what, what did you say? They are forever. They are forever. Not good lyrics. But, but Louise, what a band. Let's turn it up. Here we go. One more time. I mean, Louise, aren't they just the greatest? They are. They're one of my number one cleaning music. Yeah, it's great. It's Yeah. It's great cleaning, you know. You, you got, you've got the, you've got the toilet stick in your hand, Phil. You're doing the toilet, Auntie. You, your gloves on, you know, Phil O'Reilly. You've got a, you've got a board meeting in 20 minutes, but you are just hammering away to gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. Well, I must Phil say, O'Reilly. I must say those lyrics. I was thinking about those lyrics. It was unlikely to be Bob Dylan, wasn't it? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Good, good tune, Vic. Oh, I love a bit of ABBA in the right scenario, but I wouldn't put them on every day. Well, not okay. to clean the toilet, anyway. No, that's right. <laughs> Louise, lovely to have your company. Great. Thank you, Wallace. Thank lovely you. to be here. Right. Uh, very good. Oh, my goodness. They. Uh, oh, someone says, this is my dream song, literally. All the girls singing for me. Uh, Sharon Bergenhead says, research shows homework is pointless. I'm an ex-primary teacher and think only worthwhile homework is reading and learning your times tables, uh, says Sharon. You are on the panel, RNZ National, and we have Phil O'Reilly and Victoria McLennan with us today. Driving in heavy rain is tricky at the best of times, but ever notice that some roads are a little bit harder than others? This is a response from a listener asking just that. Why, why, why? You know, road surfaces, they have been in the news, haven't they? One of my colleagues here at RNZ also noticed that when they drove between Hamilton and Cambridge on the Waikato Expressway in torrential rain... Some parts of the road were reflective, misty, and they could barely see the road markings or the car in front of them. But then they had a different asphalt surface, and even though the rain was still heavy, they could see everything clearly. So to explain, we have Waka Kotahi's acting Waikato Systems Manager Rob Campbell on the program. Kia ora, Rob. Kia ora. Same stretch of road, different experience. Explain, why is that? We do use different surfacing types, um, and there's some, some good reasons behind that. Um, in, across New Zealand, there's three different types, basically, of chip seal and, and asphalt, two different types of asphalt. And on the expressways, we, we, we largely use asphalt, but there are different types, and they have different properties. They react differently in, in different circumstances. Um, so as your, your producer would have been driving up the road there, she's gone over um, areas of, of what we call stone mastic asphalt and open-graded porous asphalt, technical terms, but essentially the open-graded porous asphalt, as you say, it's porous. It lets the water through. It's, it's got little voids in, in, in the asphalt that lets the water out. Um, it's also very good for controlling noise as it happens just yeah. on the user. So. Why do... So the question is, I guess, why do you use different types of asphalt in different sections? 
largely it's well, two reasons. One is where there's where we're near um, lots of houses, we want to control the noise. We want to keep those road that road noise down. And, and Ogpa is very good at doing that. So what is sorry? Ogpa the open graded porous asphalt. We're talking acronyms. I'm sorry about that. No, I got um, it. I got it. Your chip size from ten to twelve millimeters. Yeah, so it's but in this in those asphalts that chip is embedded in the bitumen. But in this particular type, there's little voids, and the little voids let the water. So the rain comes down, lands on the surface, and it can drain away through those voids. So obviously, when someone's driving over it, there's less water from that heavy rain still on the top of the surface. So that lets that water out. Um, but we can't use that everywhere. And the reason for that is because it's not very waterproof. So where we have roads oh. that are and the water will have an effect on them. We need a more waterproof layer. We use a different type of surfacing there, a different type of asphalt. And that's the one that has a little bit more water. It's not a lot. It sits on the surface, but it is noticeable to people driving the road. Oh, my goodness me. I've gone down the the, the road in rabbit hole today because it, 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 <laughs> it is such a science. And when you're driving down the Waikato Expressway with gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight, <laughs> you don't think about these sorts of things, do you, Phil O'Reilly? Although you do because you've got a little bit of skin in the game, just a declaration. Oh, yeah, well, I work with the concrete guys, so there's not many roads in New Zealand made of concrete, although, okay. you know, there's, there's lots in Australia. But, but you're, one of the things I notice is... Um, and I should just congratulate Waka Katahi as the only New Zealander to do that over the last month on the new Pekka Pekka Expressway as Wellingtonian. That is a great road and uh, wonderful to, to drive on and very, You both very agree, do you? Yeah. Because yeah, the new roads are the best, of course. When you build a brand new big double lane road, it's great. But you, what it says to me is you just need to be careful driving in the wet and in the dark. And, of course, once you get off those brilliant expressways onto just the coarse chip seal, well, some of that's going to be worn, some of it's not, some of it's going to be old, some of it's going to be new. And I think any New Zealand driver will know that that's, you know, the roads aren't perfect here. And I must say, I actually think the roads... Oh. Well, the roads are not as bad as many others. Understatement. Well, uh, well, shall, we, shall we address that, Rob, please? <laughs> because I've got to reflect the texts that are coming through. Lots of sumps and bumps. I hear what you're saying about your stone mastic asphalt and the epoxy open graded asphalt, chip size 10 to 12 millimetre. But what of the complainers and winders and moaners who are texting me saying, hey, what about our bad roads? There's, we're seeing a lot of this uh, commentary, and, and it's, it's fair commentary. So the, the roads are not as good as we would like them to be. Okay. But realistically, they're doing an awful lot more than they ever used to. The, the volumes of, of trucks and cars is, is so much higher than it was when those roads were designed. Right. So we have got a lot of work to do to keep those maintained, and, and that's our focus. So we've got the biggest roading programs we've ever had in this, this funding period that we have, and we're busy working through that. So it's, it is definitely an issue. Uh, it's definitely something that we're working on, and we've, like I say, got these massive programs to, to, to try and make sure the roads are maintained at the right level. Well, that's fair enough, though, and Victor. I mean, you can just think about the sheer volume of the traffic which rises year upon year upon year. Exactly right. Vic? Yeah, I was just going to say, I drive on a magic piece of road um, every other day, which is Transmission Gully. Brilliant. And it has changed my life, saved me you know, a good 15 minutes each direction um, travel-wise when we drive. And people are really quick to say, oh, yeah, but there's a pothole in place, you know, blah, blah, on Wainui Hill or something, or some minor thing that, that they've observed that isn't great. And they've really quickly forgotten how crap that old road was Absolutely. and how amazing this new feat of engineering we're driving over is. So it's all relative as well. 
It's not lovely to hear that you're enjoying those roads, actually. And, you know, obviously it's, it's great to be able to provide those those new expressways and those high levels of service. We, you know, we're very proud of those roads. Back to this uh, particular um, issue of uh, the listener saying, or actually colleague saying the different types of uh, asphalts on the Waikato Expressway, surely there's a safety factor here. I mean, terrible rainy conditions over the summer, misty reflective road surface on a 110 kilometre per hour road. Does Waikato have some safety concerns here? They all meet a pretty robust standard. Um, in extreme weather, in extreme rainfall, any road surface will eventually have a film of water across the whole thing. Um, so they're all of a standard that's perfectly you know, acceptable. But we must remember that the 110 is a is a limit. It's not a target. So 110 is suitable when the, the conditions are good. It's dry, it's clear, you can see things. But we always say drive to the conditions. Um, so when you've got extreme weather... 110 is not an appropriate speed. We need to be all taking accountability to, to slow down. In extreme cases, you may even want to pull off and find somewhere safe to, to wait for the rain to go. Okay. Slowing down, drive to those conditions, give yourself more space. Um, and as you say, as those road goes under a film of water, you won't see the markings, the reflectivity changes. We have the raised pavement markers, the cat's eyes, to help as well. So they stick out above the water. So there's a number of cues that you can use, but... Ultimately, the safest thing is to slow down and back off from the car in front of you. The water, the, the, the mist will clear in front of you. I find road building, Rob, so fascinating. I actually mean it. Um, I must have to do a second uh, take on this. There's something about it that I find really interesting. Uh, Rob Kiora, I appreciate your time today. You're more than welcome. Uh, that's Rob Campbell there. Waka Kota, he's acting Waikato Systems Manager. So underneath the tile seal and looking at the chip size, uh, the gradients, the stone mastic asphalt, it's all quite complicated when you would really drill down. 16 to 5, the panel RNZ National. Well, on to a different sort of road surface in Aotearoa, New Zealand sand our beaches are technically classified as roads even though bylaws put many off limits but there are people sick to the back teeth of vehicles hooning up and down the beach and there are environmental concerns as well Waimakariri District Council Community Projects Officer Mike Qantas here, Mike welcome well, it's yeah, pleased to meet you and the rest of the panel. Good yeah. to be here. And thank, thank oh, you. look, it's our pleasure, Mike. And this is not just Murawai, it's not just carpeting, is it? This is the no. problem up and down the country. <laughs> these th- these big beaches, tyre tracks mm. everywhere, hooning, Mike. Yes, I think, I think the Aucklanders are hitting our way sometimes, and that's why we're getting some troubles down here. Um, no, you're always welcome. Everyone's welcome to our beaches. Um, yeah, my role is I work for Waimakari District Council and um, it's really a privilege to really look after these wild spaces, um, which we all love to enjoy. Um, so a big part of my role is trying to make sure it is there for the enjoyment and safety of our users now, as well as looking after the environment. Mike, you know? has there been an increase in people driving on beaches over the well, years? We're just trying to work that out. Well, what do you um, reckon? We've, we're putting out counters and we're measuring numbers now um, because we know we need to get some evidence or get some data about what's going on out there because it is an issue that's been raised by a lot of our community. So we're going, well, how much of an issue is it really, you know? Um, we have had enforcement officers out there for a number of years. Um, we work with ECAN, it's the local regional council, and they have they've got the feeling, and they do have some stats behind this, that, um, you know, the issue is 
possibly declining. Um, however, it doesn't stop, and our environment is a sensitive place, and it does deteriorate over time. Victoria. Oh, well, I'm lucky um, enough to walk on the beach every night and observe this directly firsthand on Kapiti, which is a well-driven yeah. beach, I'd have to say. And I think that beach use has potentially increased um, with people buying more boats and those, I don't know what they're called, those things that they catch fish on. Yeah, contikis. Yeah, so yep. more of them parked up. But none of them are hooning. Mm. They're launching their boat or launching their contiki. Um, yeah. But then occasionally in the weekends we do, particularly not so much during the week, have hoons on motorbikes, quad bikes, going into the dunes, you know, all the things we don't want to see happening. But I don't think I'm seeing that any more now than I was a few years ago. All right, Mike, yeah. uh, stay there. Well, let's, uh, let's have Phil too. Well, I've always thought it was a New Zealand rite of passage to have your dad back the boat down the beach and you <laughs> get off into the water and half drown yourself while you wait and he comes back around and parks it. So I'm all for them on the beach. But as usual, of course... It's the 1% that bugs it up for everyone else. And, 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 and so the policing should really be about that. I mean, I, I get some stupid behaviour on my city street where I live in central Wellington. You know, 99% of drivers are fine. Then you get some hoon running up there in a, in a, in a motorbike. Probably just come off the beach, I dare say. So I think, I think it is about not saying everybody should be banned. I think it's much more a case of saying, how do we target those who are the hoons? And not just on the beach, but, you know, target them where they are and whether they're in clubs or their, their, okay, their families so or whatever Okay, so here we've got a situation be. of Phil being pro-car on beach, right of passage, uh, Vic anti-car on beach. Mike, what say you? Right, yeah, we need a framework. We need, you know, some guidelines, and we've got those you know, to say what's respectable, you know, what's um, responsible behaviour and what's not. So we've, we've got a Northern Texas Bay Bylaw. which has been there for about 10 years, and that tells you what you can and can't do in a nice way. Um, to make sure that everyone gets to enjoy the, the, the place and limits the uh, bad behaviour. Um, because we've got, we've got numbers, we've probably got an estimate, I mean, the beach uh, vehicles, they range in number from 33 to um, over 100 a day. And so there's probably an estimate over 20,000 vehicles entering beach. Wow. Around. Okay, that's a lot. The scale of it is there, isn't it? Um, you know, if they all behave, it's not a problem, but they don't. And that, that's just the spectrum of our society, isn't it? Um, so we definitely do need to regulate that activity in some way to make sure we continue to look after the environment and uh, look after everyone's safety and enjoyment down there. Because I guess know. the other thing too, Mike, is that, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, uh, there wasn't as much um, awareness, I guess, to the fragile ecology <clears throat> that a sand dune is. To many, like your fellow O'Reilly's, it was just a big dump of sand. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, so you, you might want to um, <laughs> challenge that. You might have a better awareness than Wallace as you credit for. But um, you're right, we are getting more aware about the environment and, our, and the values, and then with climate change and other threats that is beyond our control, what it's seemingly beyond our control, we're doing what we can. Um, those things uh, are not helping the situation at all. Um, so we're controlling what we can, aren't we, and, and trying to do a better job of it. Um, yeah. Access is improved, and you know, accessibility to four-wheel drives, um, Kentucky using different types of technology to enjoy our environments, plus you know, an increase in population. So all those demands are making it a changing environment for those things to get managed in. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, we're reviewing our bylaw this year. Right. 
Um, we're going, well, how can we do this any better? We've got rules in place in terms of where you can drive, how you can drive, and all those sorts of things. But um, when they're not doing that, well, um, you know, please don't do that anymore. Or, you know, do they just give you the finger and drive off and come back and do it again tomorrow? Good on you, Mike. So yeah, so we're looking at um, introducing uh, fines as well as another disincentive. Very nice, ultimately, Mike. Ultimately, education. Education is the key. Yeah, Kia ora. That's Mike Quant there, yeah. who is the Waimakariri District Council Community Department. I want to ask you, is there more of a philosophical angle here? Is, is it philosophy-based? A beach, a beach is for holding hands with a loved one. <laughs> a beach is for casting a net out. A beach is for listening to uh, a little bit of... Um, a little bit of shaggy on the boom bop, boom box. Barry Manilow? Perhaps. Barry Manilow. That's what a beach is for. A beach, Phil, is not for four-wheel drive hoons. Well, no, I agree, but it might be for people driving a four-wheel drive so their family can can pick up a bit of fish and have a bit of shelter from the wind yeah. as they as they love the sun. My point is don't worry about the car, worry about the behaviour. Yeah. And, you know, I've walked around some of those sand dunes, not on them these days, of course, but, gee, they're beautiful places, aren't they? And you, you just get angry if you see people destroy them and, and bird habitats and so on. That doesn't stop, uh, you know, a family driving down the beach a half a K because some of our big beaches and they park right. the truck and, and have a good time. That's okay. That's, that's part of it, isn't it? Nine to five, the panel. Finally, count your lucky stars because... They may be waning. The night sky is disappearing due to rapid increases in light pollution. Over the last 12 years, Globe at Night citizen scientists have been surveying the night sky internationally. Sky brightness has increased by an average of 9.6% every year, as reported in the Science Journal. Lead author Dr. Christopher Kyber said, if a child was born in a place where you could see 250 stars, by the time they're 18 in that place, you would only see 100. Emeritus Professor of Astronomy at Canterbury and author of the Dark Sky Handbook, John Hernshaw is with me on the line. Uh, Professor uh, Hernshaw, kia ora. Good to have you here. Kia ora. This is so interesting. Uh, the fact of the matter is here that the night sky is disappearing. And it's disappearing because of us. Explain. Yes. And that's been happening for decades now, uh, right through the 20th century, but especially in the last 50 or 60 years with um, so many street lights and other forms of light pollution. And so every urban area has uh, huge light pollution. There's light 24 hours of the day and stars are disappearing. We thought the sky was getting brighter by about 2% a year, but now this paper has come out saying it's really much worse than that. It's almost 10% per year. Uh, most of the data, I should point out, is from North America and Europe. Uh, not necessarily, uh, well, a little bit was from New Zealand, but not so much. But probably the situation is getting worse everywhere. And so you are so uh, concerned about this issue. You are now petitioning the government to introduce a national law to limit light pollution. Light pollution? That's correct. I uh, submitted a petition, um, oh, a week or two ago, and already it's had 600 signatures. By the way, anyone can go online and sign my petition, but I think we do need a national law, and perhaps 
the bill which is going to replace the RMA, which is being drafted now, uh, might be the place for introducing light pollution controls. Interesting. But everyone will benefit by uh, having a national law. And at present, it's really up to district councils and city councils. And that's just such a messy way of doing it. Stay there, John. Let's bring in Vic and Phil, and you can respond to both Vic, you first. Um, well, I, I'm going to go and sign your petition. I think this is awesome. Um, as Thank I've already, so I, as I've said, I, I said before, I live near the beach, and we have relatively low light pollution. So I'm very lucky. I can see the night sky, and I know that some councils have been putting these low pollution streetlights in, which I think are fantastic. And it's great for the bird life, like and for bats and for any night flying creatures as well to not have such bright street lights. So again, it's another education thing, isn't it? We need to educate everyone how important this change is. Okay, Phil? Well, I'm going to disagree with you, John, because actually most of the street lights we're seeing around the world are there for public safety. I'm actually aware of an NGO who spends a lot of money, I can't remember the name of the heat at the moment, but they spend a lot of money on simply helping developing and least developed economies install street lights because in those economies... Women, for example, don't have the choice of taking a taxi or getting into a car. They've got to walk down the street. And it's the same in developed economies just like ours. So those streetlights, much of the lighting you're seeing is actually for public safety purposes at night. Now, some's not, and we could do more about creating dark zones or whatever. But at the end of the day, if it's a choice between seeing a star when I'm living in a city or being safe, I think I'll take the latter. Well, John. I'm afraid, Phil, you're going to have to be educated because actually... Are you an academic, John? ...reduces <laughs> safety. And this uh, mantra what? that people have been spreading is that we need more and more light to be safe at night is just simply incorrect. And we need some light at night for safety, sure, but we have far too much at present. And that causes, for example, it causes glare where light is shining into your eyes and you actually can see less as a result of that. And it destroys dark adaptation at night. So... Um, our eyes become much less uh, sensitive to light and unable to see things. We've got so much light at night now that it's not safer, it's less safe. Good heavens. Phil. Good heavens indeed. Oh. <laughs> Are you an academic, John? <laughs> well, no, no, Phil. No, no, well, let's, look, let's put that aside. Let's put dis- no, 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 no. You've heard that. More, more light is not always the safer. I want to know, John, is that do we have enough cultural awareness? I, I, my life changed. When I went up to the Mount John Observatory, they said, close your eyes for 30 seconds, look up. I saw something that I'd never seen before, and it's called the Milky Way. Magic. It yes, was absolutely. unbelievable. Now in my little blockhouse bay house on the deck, I have a little light lager, and every now and then when I'm thinking about life, I look up at a star, I can still see them because I've learned to see the sky in a new way. Well, indeed, the night sky is beautiful, and it's not just astronomers doing their um, thing looking at the stars. Anyone can look up in a truly dark sky and appreciate the beauty of the Milky Way, and I think that is also very important. You know, light pollution control has so many aspects to it. It's aesthetics, it's science, it's protecting nature, it's promoting safety, it's promoting the economy for two reasons. Uh, Less light, we're wasting about a third of the electricity 
on electric power, producing unnecessary excess light. John, you're a star. Oh, whoops. Uh, you're a great person to have on the panel. John Earnshaw there, the Darts Guy Handbook. Didn't mean to do that. Phil O'Reilly, Vic McLean and Kia You've been wonderful this afternoon. I am, right. yeah, I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint is next. I am back tomorrow. Surprise Music Box Wednesday. See you then, 345.